Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video episode number 55 or for you podcast listeners, season three, episode nine of Music is Not a Genre. Each week I take a release or four from my collection. Uh, I discuss them, I give you my take on them, I throw in some interesting stufferino, and I connect it to my music, other music, and other things in the world. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed. If you haven't, please take a moment to do so. Uh, here on YouTube, if you're on a podcast platform, uh, there is a link there to go check out the video version of this. And or if, you, uh, if you're already a Patreon uh, member, thank you so, so much for that. And if not, there's also a link below for that. Please go ahead and check out my Patreon page. You get uh, exclusive uh, videos and audio uh, for other features here. Music is not a genre, including my new interview series, among other things, and live shows and things like that. So uh, thanks to anyone who has signed up for that. This week, uh, as we continue on with kind of the, the you know, nascent uh, strain here of uh, me doing CDs instead of vinyl, if you've been following along, it's only the third or fourth week I've done this, I believe. Uh, I have a small collection of CDs that I've titled Third Stream Music, The Jazz Classical Alchemy of Jacques Lussier. And I am doing my best to pronounce that name correctly because my son, who is learning French, will kill me if I don't. Uh, so, you know, I have a lot of different things in my CD collection. As I've told you before, there's no, there's no um, restriction on the kind of music I will buy. If it's something that I find an interest in, I'll buy it. That, yeah, that can apply to anybody, sure. But I feel as though there, you know, my collection, even as it stands today, which is much smaller than it used to be, is pretty eclectic. Um, uh, 
In this case, this is uh, a strain of jazz, of, of many different kinds of jazz that I enjoy. And uh, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of it a little bit uh, in this, uh, you know, relatively brief show. But before I do that, so there, you know, the whole thing with music is not a genre, is to point out that although genres as labels do exist, uh, they are by nature limiting and they don't uh, really describe everything that that music can contain, right? Not only that, they, their names often uh, target certain people and shut out other people by, by design. And we are conditioned to hear a certain genre label and say, oh, I, I like that music, or I might like that music, or I don't like that music. And my contention here is that all of that is ridiculous. And it's, uh, you know, it's a good idea for all of us to look beyond labels in, in every facet of the world, including music. So that said, there are two, you know, really there, there are kind of two frames of mind with, um, with genres. And, uh, I mean, or there are 300 frames of mind, or there are 7 billion frames of mind, however you want to say, but I'm going to, I'm going to simplify it to two, which is that there are people who believe that a certain type of music is, you know, let's say rock music is rock music should not contain, oh, I don't know, keyboards, shouldn't contain banjo, shouldn't contain uh, electronic beats, things like that. It takes it out of being rock music of any kind, right? And that's one school of thought that if you are straying from what a genre should be, quote unquote, then it's no longer that genre, right? And the other school of thought, which, you know, guess which one I belong to, is that the genre, is a, the genre name is a suggestion and the artist and, you know, the writer, whatever, can, the producer can throw in whatever they want to in, in that song, in that production, the performance, and call it whatever they want to call it. You know, and, there, and fortunately, there are a lot of artists today, uh, for, first of all, that I, I, believe, I do believe that the Internet has made it easier for people to see how uh, false these distinctions are, how fluid genre can be. Uh, among other things. But secondly, there are a lot of young artists uh, who wonderfully are mixing the genres, you know, however they want to, and oftentimes creating something brand new that they don't seem to really care what it's called, which is great, because that's, again, the whole point of this. Uh, Breland is, is, is a guy that comes to mind uh, doing country music, but it's a very kind of R&B-ish, you know, funky country. Uh, Rina Sawayama is somebody I've mentioned a million zillion times because I, I, she's a British, British artist who mixes kind of, uh, you know, electronic pop, funky pop kind of thing with, with metal, with just straight up, you know, heavy metal music, new metal, if you want to call it that, uh, from that particular period. And not, and, and not watering down any of any of those ones that I mentioned for either of those artists. It's not, oh, I'm going to take a piece of this, take a piece of that. It's like full off, full blown of all of that, just slammed together, which I which I love. It's it's it's, you know, been done in the past, but not to the I think the, the extent that it's being done now. Right. And that's just popular music. You know, all the styles of popular music. There are, again, people who are purists about it, people who aren't. 
When you get into so-called highbrow music, which I talked about this in a podcast before, I don't like the terms highbrow and lowbrow for any kind of art, uh, whether it's literature, visual art, music, you know, whatever. Um, those are false distinctions. May they're they're very classist, sometimes often even racist, and and they're elitist, and so especially when you consider the origins of pretty much any kind of art. You know, we, we look at jazz and classical in the, this the subject this, this week as uh, what I'd call conservatory music these days, which is for the most part, when you go to school to learn music, you're learning one of those, right? A lot of the people who come out, even someone as famous as John Baptiste, you know, uh, studied at Juilliard, study jazz, you know, uh, and, and the same, of course, is true for classical. But we forget that that both, although that kind of music and every strain of classical and all the, you know, uh, strains of jazz, it all started from just people playing music in an innovative way. And not only that, the idea that a certain taste is highbrow or a certain taste is lowbrow because again, it's classist, it's elitist, it's racist, so many ists that are the negative kind. And I don't, I don't subscribe to that thought. But there are people who do, right? And in, in many cases, those people are even more staunchly purist about what constitutes jazz or what constitutes classical than the people who are more into pop, you know, popular music of whatever kind. Uh, you can, you know... For example, in the class in the classical realm, there was a point at which uh, the famous composer, in, you know, earlier on in the 20th century, Igor Stravinsky, uh, released "Rite of Spring" and did a concert. There was a riot in the streets, basically, because it was dissonant and added certain, you know, newish elements to classical or orchestral music, if you want to call it that instead, that weren't really being used very much, uh, you know, except for maybe some 12-tone composers and some avant-garde and things like that, um, people flipped, you know, and it caused a great division among classical uh, fans, fans of orchestral music. And that's happened over and over and over again in history, of course, but especially in the 20th century when people started to seriously revere uh, more than ever, really, the uh, old classics, uh, you know, from the from the you know Renaissance, Baroque, uh, classical, Romantic eras, and all the ones you know uh, in between and, and before and after, there became this kind of division of well, then anything that came after or that started with Stravinsky or uh, or Schoenberg or, or Bartok don't even consider that classical, you know, like that kind of a thing. Um, in jazz, they, I'm going to use this, and, I, and, you know, not to denigrate, uh, you know, Wynton Marsalis, because I really respect him on so many levels, but, and this is a very old comment, and I don't know if his, you know, idea of it has changed or not, because I haven't followed him, really. Um, I was more of a Branford fan, if you must know. Huh. Uh, Wynton said many years ago that, uh, any any jazz music or any music that sounds like jazz but is not based firmly in the blues in some kind of blues structure or or blues harmonics 
is not jazz. And the thing is, I've heard him play and he's amazing. And I bet you I would like a lot of what he does. But when I heard that many years ago, it turned me off of him because I completely disagree with that. That's where jazz started. Yes, absolutely that's where it started. It's one of the main influences of jazz was the blues. You know, not the only one, but probably the main one. You know, blues with improvisation. Uh, but, you know, jazz, any, any type of music can go wherever the hell it wants to go and wherever the artists say that they want it to go. And jazz has gone pretty much everywhere. You know, you're talking, it's, it's followed into pop music and hip hop music and, and funk and fusion rock and, you know, which is fusion, but, you know, all avant-garde, you know, avant-garde and, 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 you know, dissonant and all of that stuff, just abstracted to the nth degree and, and just, you know, turned in inside, outside, upside down. If, if the artists who are doing it say it's jazz, then it's jazz, right? If the listener listens to it, says it's jazz, then it's jazz. There's no... That's a false distinction to me to say that if it's not bass in the blues, it's not jazz. But this is to illustrate uh, that, and again, not, nothing against, you know, Winton as a, as a genius, you know, that he is. This is to illustrate how ridiculous these distinctions can get. The, the more you parse them out, you know, let's say this. Oh, well, you know, there, there's a jazz song that is kind of firmly based in the blues, but then it throws this extra chord in. Or there's a passage of improv that, uh, that harkens, you know, more toward classical or uses a different uh, scale than the blues scale, you know. Then, then what? You know, how far do you go? What do you say? It's okay to include that. Like you just, you, you keep parsing it to the point where you can't even see the distinction anymore. And... The reason why I'm saying all this, not, not, to, not only, and this is the thing that's awesome to me. When, when you think of classical, what do you think of? You think of maybe Mozart or Beethoven or Bach or, you know, Debussy or, you know, you know, Schubert, if you like him, or Mahler. People like that. But mainly what you're thinking of is orchestral music that is notated precisely, and that's how you play it, right? When you think of jazz, what do you think of? You think of music uh, that has improvisation as a major part of what it is. So if that's the case, if that's the case, and again, if, is jazz only blues-based improvisation, right? If that's the case, what is so much of what, you know, Miles Davis did or uh, Wayne Shorter or so many people that came after him that had then Wayne Shorter, especially with that kind of impressionist, you know, thing that he, that he has going on. Is that not jazz? I don't think I need to answer that for you. And what about, you know, what about classical? I mean, this, this one is the one, when I learned this years ago, it flipped me out to the point where I just realized how much in love with all this stuff I am, you know, again. And that is that, let me name some famous composers for you. Hope, and think sort of in reverse order, I don't know, chronologically. Franz Liszt, Friedrich Chopin, Mozart, Bach, and a dude that predated Bach named Dietrich Buxtehude, who was very Bach-like, but in his own way, you know, I don't know, he influenced Bach, right? All of those famous composers and many, 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 many more were well known in their time for having amazing improv skills. And you might say, all right, Chopin, sure, list, you know, they were virtuosos on the, on the piano. Of course, they probably messed around. 
Mozart was a genius. He could do whatever he wants. But Bach, you know, with Bach's known for his very precisely written music. Thing is, A, a lot of that probably stemmed from improvisation. And, but, you know, B, they were well known for improv in their day. They were performers, you know, so they, they knew how to wow an audience. That just flipped my lid to the point where I was like, yeah, see, it's all connected in this, you know, and this is awesome, right? <clears throat> Excuse me a second. And to get to the point here this week, Jacques Lussier was someone who knew this. There was a point at which he was doing, he was very young. He was, uh, I believe he was playing, uh, I want to say a Bach composition, although I'm not sure. He forgot part of it in the middle of the performance. So he just improv it. And I don't know if it was at that point or prior to that point or, you know, or soon after that it dawned on him that why not, right? So you look at this first CD here, the people who can see it, I will tell you listeners, it's called Jacques Lussier Plays Bach. It's from 1996. And you, you see that um, he decided at a certain point, where the point was around 1959, that Bach lent itself really super well to jazz improv. And he did a series of albums with his trio back then, which I'll skip ahead slightly to this one here, 1999. For you viewers, I'll hold it up, called The Bach Book, which is a compilation of those, or actually it's a sampling, sorry. It's a sampling of those early Bach recordings. But he was the first person. There are people who had done a little bit of classical, you know, jazz improv, uh, before then, but you know, especially uh, for people, for you know, composers like Debussy, Ravel, Satie, and, and the, the French Impressionists, and other people in other, from other countries in that era, where their chords were sort of already morphing into what would be known as more complex jazz before jazz even existed. So they lent themselves very well that kind of improvisation, and many people have done improvs on Satie, especially, and you know, and things like that. But any, but any of those composers, but no one at the time thought to, eat, to ever do improv jazz music, you know, based in Bach's compositions. And, you know, he became super famous for that. And then he went on, which, by the way, that kind of music, why I titled this, that kind of music was termed, I believe, in the 1950s uh, by somebody else as third stream music, which basically just meant... You're taking classical music, you're playing it in a jazz style with improv, whatever, still with some classical chops, and creating something new. And that was the third stream. So Jacques Lussier became very well known for third stream music, right? And then he went on to do other composers, uh, such as here, this 1997. You can see the period which I was into him when I was still buying CDs. 1997 uh, CD. Uh, where he does Vivaldi's The Four Seasons as jazz. Oh my God, that's amazing. Bach, Bach as far as these go, in front of you, Bach's still my favorite, but, but that was pretty damn amazing. And then, of course, he did in 1998 Satie, which, I mean, he's from France. You knew eventually he was going to get around to him, right? Um, I believe he's also done Debussy. I believe he's also done... Uh, well, he's done Beethoven, he's done Chopin, he's done Robert Schumann, which I was really surprised I thought was kind of awesome. I've played all of these composers on the piano at one point, back especially when I had pretty decent classical chops, you know, nothing to write home about, but good enough. 
And, uh, you know, these were some of my favorites. Chopin, especially, is still, you know, probably in my tops as far as piano music goes. Bach is just wonderful to play. And, and Mozart, you know, and Beethoven. But Schumann was a surprise. I, I played through his, his uh, work, uh, Scenes from Childhood, and really, they're just like songs, you know? And, and I loved, you know, I, I always preferred Schumann to Schubert. And I know you're saying, like, well, is there even a, you know, connection? But, you know, in my head there is. I made the connection because of the, you know, S-C-H-U, I guess, in the beginning of their name. <laughs> And I just loved, I just loved that. So it was cool for me to see that uh, Lucia did that too, because I didn't know that. Why? Because after 99, obviously, I lost track of him. And sadly, he died 20 years later in 2019, at the age of, I believe, 85, 84, 85, something like that. Um, after having had a stroke in 2011, which is what ended his performing career. Uh, he, which by the way, he's also was a composer for, uh, you know, for his albums, but also for film and did his inimitable style of third stream jazz classical, uh, but with his own compositions. So I'm just honestly saying I am psyched to find out that he, that he had done so much more and especially with some composers I absolutely love. And I plan on adding that to my list, which right now is actually not that large. I, you know, it was at one point, it was up to about 20 different things to listen to, and now it's down to three. So I'm going to add him to the list and check out some of those other composers that he has interpreted, because that's, I don't know, it's, it's awesome to me, right? And the thing is this, about all this, good works can exist the way they are. They don't need reinventing, right? You can listen to Mozart and know that if it's done well by a great performer's what else does it need? Nothing. But the way someone like Jacques Lussier, and in particular, again, I fell in love with his Bach and, uh, and then the Satie, but even the Vivaldi, you, you really should check that out if that's what you're into more than any of the others, because that is very accessible. All of it is really, but that especially, um, is that it brings it so into the moment. It makes it like it is alive again in a way that strictly playing the notes in the page can't. It can, but not really, not really. And so performers like this, and in a sense, you know, and composers who do this, really make what we wrongly consider to be kind of stodgy, old music, contemporary again. Because we have to remember that when, the, when popular, popular music of any kind came out, it was called that because it was popular. You know, meaning populist, meaning people, meaning people loved it, meaning it was, you know, the, the term folk music comes from the, the, you know, word folk, which means people. So what's the difference between popular, pop, folk? That, again, my, my, you know, contention is none or not enough to make distinctions like that. And even and especially classical music of whatever era, when it was popular, it was pop music. And somebody like Lucier again, kind of brings you back to understanding a little better why that might have been and feeling it again like it's brand new, you know. Uh, a quick note uh, that jazz and classical, again, like I said in the beginning, have popped up in a lot of different styles of music. Most recently, no, most recently that I've heard, I'll say that, I kept hearing this damn song in, in drugstores 
and uh, didn't know who it was till I looked it up. And wouldn't you know it, it's Maroon 5, the, the band that's always there. Uh, it's a song called Memories, and it is absolutely, you listen to it, and if you know, Paco Bell's Canon in D, which is a pretty famous composition, super popular in the 80s and 90s especially. It is based on that. It's 100% certain, based on Paco Bell's Canon in D, and that was from 2019. That's how recent that was. I'm sure there are some that are even more recent. There's been so many compositions that have been based on classical music. Um, for example, Barry Manilow's hit, Could It Be Magic, was based on a Chopin etude. I believe it was an etude. Uh, and if you listen to the two back-to-back, again, no question, absolutely true. Quite a few hits from the 40s and 50s with vocalists, you know, who were especially crossing over from opera to pop or jazz uh, vocals, were based in classical music. Just uh, It just goes on and on and on and on. But then there's also music that's not based in a composition like that, but has elements of that, has a style like that. Uh, you think of certain string arrangements from the Beatles or the, you know, the Moody Blues, or honestly, it's shown up even in hip hop or certainly progressive rock, which has used jazz, classical, and everything else you can think of. Uh, not uh, basing it on a specific composition, but just using that style. Right. And that is something, again, that I always love when I when I hear that pop up. That's that's something that kind of thrills me if it's done really well. I mean, you think of like, I don't know, Eleanor Rigby. Right. Is an easy one to call up from the Beatles. That's not based on anything, but it has that that string ensemble. It's completely a string ensemble other than the vocals. Very classical. Far as what I've done, I have certainly incorporated a lot of jazz here and there not as much classical but some and uh, the compositions that come to mind for me would be a song from my band Rex album Syzygy for the Weird Polymath uses a harpsichord sound and there are a couple passages in there that are very classical and yet it is an electronic kind of uh, you know downbeat funky song and it but it fits but more than that, a few years ago, I did a soundtrack to a film called Lock, Load, Love. And I did two pieces in which I took ensembles playing some well-known classical songs, added jazz rhythms and other elements, little improv, to them, and then overlaid that with some space sounds. <laughs> and called it classical space jazz or classical music is I think what I called it at the time. And they were clearly, clearly influenced by this man here, Jacques Lussier, with maybe a little bit of Esquivel thrown in there on top, you know, like sprinkles. So that's what this, that's what this is all about, you know, the, the blurring of boundaries. And I, I really, really recommend that you listen to anything you can pick up of his. There's a, if there's a favorite classical composer who's fairly well known, there's a good chance that Jacques Lussier did interpret that composer. Go find it and see what you think. Do you know him already? I'd, I'd love to know what your opinion is of him or of any music like this, any other third stream artist. Have you heard, of, if you watch Colbert, have you heard at times when John Baptiste, Baptiste puts some classical stuff into what he's doing with the jazz? He's somebody who I think is very aware of Third Stream and, and, and one of probably hundreds or thousands today who are still doing this. 
Do you, can you tell me some of the contemporary third stream artists? Because I haven't been following that and I would really love to know, especially if you know, uh, or do you hate all this? Are you a purist? Are you somebody who's like, that's not jazz or that's not classical or whatever it is. I want to know about that too. Uh, whether you agree or disagree, or love or hate, have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about or know even more than what I'm saying. I, I want to know because as always my objectives here are music conversation and connection. Thank you. And uh, until next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.